I'm Terry Teachout, drama critic of The Wall Street Journal. I'm Peter Marks, theater critic of The Washington Post. And I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli. I write for The New York Times and The New Yorker. Welcome to the 33rd episode of Three on the Isle, a podcast from New York about theater in America. Yeah, we're, we're not going anywhere, folks. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. You can't get rid of us. Uh, we're hosted by American Theater Magazine, a publication of the Theater Communications Group, and this and other podcasts hosted by American Theater are all brought to you by Charcoal Blue. Before we get down to brass tacks, I just wanted to give a shout out to Jamie Morton. Anyway, he picked us as one of his favorite podcasts for CBC Radio, which is awesome. That's a big deal. Porno and Canadians. So well Maybe together. we should write a porno. Maybe that's what's coming next <laughs> on our next episode. So, who anyway. says the word porno anyway? That's the, is that I Canadians. Know, this is great, right? I, the, I Canadians. the Canadians. The Canadians, obviously. Anyway, a so porno. thanks, Jamie, and right back at you because now we're subscribing to your show. Okay, but but you know, let's you know okay. let's leave the world of pornography, podcast pornography. What, if that turned to theater, yes, <laughs> the the very high end, very highfalutin world of theater, because it's June. Which means, of course, it's time to give out the Tony Awards. But, you know, we at Three on the Isle don't think of the Tony Awards as a big enough platform so for the world of theater. Broadway, so small. We think of the entirety of theater, everywhere from the Arctic Circle to Antarctica, <laughs> as the, 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 the platform for us to be judging where the uh, best of the season you know, that's uh, originates. There are two equity companies in Alaska. And they have been on my get there one of these days list. And I have been to one of them. Have you really? Which one? Juno or Fairbanks? Uh, well, it was actually in Anchorage. That one I didn't know about. Yeah, yeah, okay. So there's three. Yeah. Well, Fairbanks. I saw I a production of Fiddler on the Roof in Anchorage. <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyway. I think oh, Fair okay. Fairbanks actually did the skin of our teeth about 10 years ago. Mm. Back before all of these productions of it started hitting on the, on the East Coast. Right. Well, this very discursive episode will take us now right back to the thing I was about to tell you about. Devoted listeners of this podcast will be thrilled to know that on this show, we are going to individually award our favorite shows and performances from across the globe. Off-Broadway, on-Broadway, wherever it suits us. I haven't been traveling as much this past year because of my wife's health, but I have been able to get out of town some, and my picks will reflect that. Let us start, then, with our acting categories. Shouldn't there be a drum roll? We should have some kind of music. Okay. I mean, we've got to work on it's this. Insert a music cue here. I think the next step I'm, for this podcast is uh, hiring a Foley artist. Oh, and we it. need like an opening number. <laughs> you know, like James number. Corden does, on, will do this week. And, I think anyway. we've, right. got a, we've got a project here. All right. okay. But let's start with, with leading performances. Uh, my pick... So we're doing one lead performance? One lead performance. Not male, female, one lead performance. One lead performance okay. of, of either sex or any intermediate point okay. therein. Uh, my pick is an off-Broadway show and an off-Broadway performance. It was the performance of J.O. Sanders in Richard Nelson's Hunter Theater Project, off-Broadway revival of Uncle Vanya. Excellent. Really, I think, maybe the most beautiful production of that beautiful and difficult show that I've ever seen and wow. one of the most intimate productions of any show that I've ever seen. It was miked, miked in an extremely sophisticated way simply to allow everybody in the cast to speak at a conversational level. And J.O. Sanders is one of those, those great veterans that everybody who follows the New York theater scene knows him well, but he never gets to play the title character. And he killed 
Yeah. It was one of the most beautiful performances I've ever seen in my life. And that's a pretty widely shared view. He's been popping up on all sorts of best best of lists. So for me, he was he gave the best performance, lead performance of the I year. I think he just won the drama desk. I think he, he did. Yeah. Yeah, that's a I, remarkable performance. What about you, Elizabeth? I am going to start right off the bat by cheating because I have two performances, but they're, they're, they're by the same person. So I think it kind of, it's okay. It's permissible. It's permissible. And it's uh, Maureen Ireland, who had a great year, uh, first uh, in Blue Ridge, and both times actually being great in plays that were, that were not so great. Um, and there's something that Maureen Ireland does that every time she surprises me, even though... She's very actressy, and I think some people find her a little mannered and a little, yeah, actressy, I would say. That's the right um, word, yeah. But uh, she makes it work for me. Uh, the first one was in Blue Ridge, and uh, the other one was in Jesse Eisenberg's uh, Happy Talk. In both, both cases, she did accents, which is all, I find always treacherous uh, for actors, because sometimes that's all you pay attention to. Uh, but every time, she always manages to find something really, really... Uh, wounded and wonderful in, in those characters. And I thought she was even better in Summer and Smoke, but that was a little earlier last year, so I didn't count it. But uh, so Murray mm. Ireland for the win for me this I year. I to ask you something. I was at dinner the other night, I just was after a show, with an actor friend of mine who said to me, when you see somebody giving a good performance in a bad show, how do you know it's them? Mm. Ah. And you just made me think of that by what you said about that's uh, a good question. Ireland. I wish we should do that on a podcast because yeah. that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've been a longtime fan of Maureen Ireland, uh, and I completely understand the people who don't warm up to her. Uh, it's She's an interesting case of someone mm. whose acting is fairly naturalistic and yet not. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it does. She does draw attention to what she's, she's doing. She's very compelling. But there's something yeah, around about her that is just uh, re really incredible. Yeah. What about you, Peter? Okay. Well, I'm going to cheat too. Um, but my <laughs> breakdown is one is a dramatic performance and one is a musical theater performance because oh, okay, I thought counts. we needed just some uh, musical. We needed a few, some show tune in this uh, in this category. My best lead performance, though. Overall, is Elaine May in Waverly Gallery. I thought it was an extraordinary inhabiting of a character and the deterioration of a woman it, in old age by degree, mm. uh, was, incrementally, was extraordinary. Uh, I believed every moment of that performance. It was in every way captivating. It was humorous. It was dark in some ways and scary because you never knew really where that character was going. And I just thought it was a, a beautifully pitched performance. And to see a performance like that from somebody who is not essentially a stage actor, that mm. just amazed me. Exactly. She's a... Mm -hmm. a, it, a right. You wonder... It does make you think, where do these things come from? Yeah. And the match of a character and a, and a person, just a person sometimes is so uh, indelible, it's so integrated perfectly that uh, it... It just it just happens magically. You think she's got a lock on the Tony. I do. I hope so. I, I think she I does. So. I think she does. I think I it's so. the performance to beat. And I'm just going to give a, a shout out uh, to Santino Fontana oh. in Tootsie, okay. because I think the idea that we've become sort of uh, that we become jaded about is 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 recreating a classic film performance on stage in a way that diminishes 
the memory or actually burnishes the memory of the original because it can't compare. I thought Santino reinvented this character, the character of Michael, uh, what's his last name? I can't remember. Michael Dorsey. 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 Very good. Uh, in in the stage version was he made it his own. Mm-hmm. I think it it shows that he's a true musical theater talent, and he's going to have a long career in, in as a star on Broadway if he wants it as a result of this. And I hope he wins the Tony on Sunday. I, I agree. Actually, it's funny that you're mentioning playing a real person because one of my favorite performances of the year is Stephanie J. Block in the Share Show, who's going to also apparently win on uh, Sunday. Really? Or yeah. so is I guess the, the that's what the bookies say. Uh, but again, it's a it's a great performance playing someone real, and mm. I, it's not easy. It's just uh, very difficult. Anyway, okay. So next, the category that tends to have my favorite performances of the year, pretty much any year, because I'm such a huge fan of character actors, um, is supporting. Um, so Terry, what's uh, who, who's your well, fave in there? It's been a hell of a good year for character actors for supporting players. I had trouble picking this, and I of must course, say, it's a it's impossible. And I challenge. was I was looking to the musicals for this, and I originally I thought of, of wonderful Sarah Stiles and Tootsie. Mm. Uh, I thought of Brooks mm. Ashmaskas in uh, the Prom. But, but don't you end, think is more lead? I think uh, you know it depends. On, it's a question of of how how the committee votes. Mm. I think on that one. But I tell you what, when it comes down to as they used to say, where I come from, the nut cutting, the person who has just walked away. <laughs> that is Allie Stroker um, in Oklahoma. That is... I think that's right. It is the most... I'd never seen her on stage before. I hadn't heard of her. She comes out, and it's just like bombs start going off on stage. This in a production that is, you know, if you're a faithful listener to Three on the Isle, I didn't much care for. Right. But her, I, I, would, and, I would go to see her in anything... She wanted to do, and, and then part of the reason, you know, it, Terry, did you feel this? I don't know if you, I don't know, and Elizabeth, I don't know. Mm-hmm. When she sang, I, "I'm just a girl can't say no," the show suddenly came alive. Oh. It was as if you were watching, you know, sort of, you know, competent musical theater performers up till then, and then oh. suddenly the whole place lit up, and the and the and the audience response was galvanizing. It was really like somebody pushing the gas pedal down all the way to the floor. Just worked. Uh, how it's- how I just asked myself. Where has she been? Where have I been? And what's she gonna do next? She was in that revival of Spring Awakening. Yeah, that's that was right. She was in the idea. ensemble. I, did, yeah. I didn't notice her in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we all noticed her in this. I haven't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna draw a very big card here. I haven't seen essentially a debut like this since Nina Arianda blew the roof off in mm-hmm. Venus and Fur. Whoa. And I hope that Ali Stroker makes the right choices and is given the right opportunities. You know, it's interesting. I think someone on Twitter, or maybe it was a comment to the podcast, someone said, a listener or a reader, we're talking, I mean, I guess about her when we discuss Oklahoma, and someone says, oh, you know, I, I heard, I haven't seen the show, but I heard her version of Can't Say No, and it didn't strike me. And okay, In but the I, room. I, I, you, it's really a performance you have to see. In it the room. It's so yeah, incredibly Also the physical. choreography of, a, of oh, yeah. a woman in a wheelchair doing that number mm-hmm. and convincingly. Doing wheelies, doing wheelies. Yeah, oh, doing it convincingly so. is really remarkable. It's also the kind of ecstatic look on her face yes. when she does that. The pleasure in the song and yeah, the exactly. performance. It's she just embodied incredible. it all. To mm-hmm. use the theatrical word, she is present in that show. Yes, indeed. Yeah, Elizabeth, really what, about, what about you? Go, I'm going to do the same thing. I, this one person in two parts. And for me, a big revelation this year was Megan Hill, uh, who played, uh, she played David Lee Roth 
uh, in Eddie and Dave, a show that I really loved. And Where I was really, that? It was at the Atlantic 2, the, the okay. smaller. I missed uh, it. It's a show about Van Halen, mm. uh, which was just incredibly funny. It was a one, and they all played by women. I thought it was he was in Bikini funny. Kill. Mm. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're going to interrupt this this program for a few seconds no, no, because no. I want to point out that right before we started taping, I mentioned to my co-host, my esteemed up until now co-host. Your I just want to say I love Bikini Kill. I just <laughs> want to tell you that. <laughs> that I was excited because in a couple of days, I'm going to go see Bikini Kill for the first time in like 25 years in Brooklyn. And Peter and Terry were like, who, what? You oh mean my God. they or it have existed for 25 I years? I know, right? Yes. So anyway, I I'm, just, just, so I'm just putting old. it out there. Yeah, no, so I, I, admit, I had never heard of Bikini Kill until Elizabeth mentioned <laughs> well, it. Thank and you she, for not leaving me alone on the, on I, the I, you're, you're welcome. And she feels very superior right now. And I hip. do. I have she a feels smug, like, even smugger than usual. Maybe maybe they were big smug on Corsica. On they, were, <laughs> they were huge in Corsica. They were big in Corsica. Yeah, big in Corsica. Right. Okay, so I'm, you're. I'm getting a t-shirt. Right, so, so sorry, I interrupted okay, so, your beautiful okay, tribute so to Megan Hill. Megan Hill. Back to business. Great in Eddie and Dave, and also great in Do You Feel Anger uh, at the Vineyard as a as an office worker who's so scared of the men, and for good reason, of the men in in, in her company that she mm. kind of goes to incredible lengths to fire, uh, to say at least that she has a boyfriend to protect mm. herself. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful performance. I cannot wait to see what she does next. She's a complete true comic talent. She has mm. such incredible timing. Mm. I absolutely, it was a great year for her. I can't wait to see more. Um, and you, Peter? And Okay, and my pick is, an, is a Broadway pick. Uh, I, I loved uh, Benga Akinagbe in To Kill a Mockingbird. He played oh. Tom Robinson, and that is not an easy job. Let me tell <laughs> That's you. That's not a grateful part. It's a. It's a. It's oh, can boy. be thankless. Uh, it's. It's. It's got nobility written about it. It's got you know all. It, it, you can't really go wrong in a sense if you play it uh, with integrity. But I just thought he brought a level of sincerity and warmth to a character that very easily could have just been a symbol. And for that, you know, it's not a fireworks role. You know, when we watch excerpts from uh, performances on the Oscars or on the Emmys, they're always like scenes when the person's exploding in a in a room where you know, oh yeah, you know, screaming. It's like Shirley MacLaine in um, in uh, Terms of Endearment. Give her the shot. You know, that's like the right. moment that you win an award for. Well, Benga uh, just goes about this with a with a with a with a with a confidence and a, a solidity that I think gives the play its moral core. That really allows uh, Jeff Daniels to soar as his as the as as uh, Atticus Finch. So for that reason, Benga, spelled G B N G A, uh, who was not nominated for a Tony, foolishly by it's, the Tony nominators, who know, I think it's a lousy it. job this year. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, what uh, else is new? Yeah, well, this year especially, wow. uh, I thought definitely deserved a nomination. Well, but you know what? You just explained why he didn't get it. It's right. because it's not an right. awards bait performance. Correct. And those performances yeah. never get anything. They're mm -hmm. just not Yeah, don't get exist. me started. Now I'm furious. Oh, now that yes. I think about this. Furious is good. I'm We're really, pro okay. all, right. all right, so next up, next up, ooh, all right. All right, calm. Okay. Next up is Best Ensemble, 
we're giving out an award the Tonys don't give. And should, hard though it would be conceptually yes. for them to do it. Meaning we're, we just were impressed. They give those out in the Screen Actors Guild Awards, uh, and I think the only one's really major award that does that. Well, our awards include Best Ensemble, and my award goes to the Lehman Trilogy, mm. and Simon Russell Beale, Ben Miles, and Adam Godley, who uh, over the course of you know 97 hours or something like that, <laughs> I don't remember how long it was, it's, it's about three and a half actually, I think, tell the story of Lehman Brothers going back to the mid-1800s and Alabama of all places. And I thought that uh, to hold an audience for that long, three men playing you know, an incredible uh, variety of roles was an extraordinary, extraordinary um, uh, uh, achievement. Uh, Terry? You know, you mentioned Elaine May, and I'm with you all the way on that, but I would myself pick the Waverly Gallery as having the ensemble performance that, that actor for actor mm. impressed me the most this season. It was, of course, directed by Lila Norgebauer, uh, who has been on Three on the Isle, uh, a very remarkable director who's just now coming into her own. But she had quite a big machine up there on stage, not just Elaine May, giving a mind-bogglingly good starring performance, but Joan Allen, Lucas Hedges, Michael Cera, an actor whom I'm a little bit skeptical about, but not this time around. And of all the people in the world to have in a supporting role, David Cromer, who is as good an actor as he is a director, uh, in a small part, uh, that's truly a touch of luxury. Mm. But these people, they seemed like a family. Mm. There's surely no greater test of the ability to create an ensemble out of a group of disparate performers who have been brought together. They're not a true ensemble. They're brought together for the purposes of this production. Mm. And to weld them into a single family-like performing unit like that, that's something very special. And that's one of the things that I will most remember that show for. It's really tricky to play, uh, to portray a family on stage. And I, I actually, I will touch upon that later in the podcast when we talk about our picks. Um, because I saw a show dealing with a family, famous family, mm -hmm. that didn't work as a family. But anyway, so my pick is uh, the ensemble from Life Sucks, uh, Aaron Posner's adaptation of Uncle Vanya, which I saw at the Well Project, and which is back. Actually, I think it's starting previews now, and it's going to run through the summer. It's moved. Uh, Theater Row. That's so right. was that the I, Wild I Project? The marquee, yeah. Where is the Wild Project? It's on East Third Street. It's off of. Kind of I should also mention that uh, that the Lehman Trilogy was at the Park Avenue Armory. Yes. These are not, you know, these are places that are mm -hmm. not Tony eligible that we're describing here. Right. Uh, so okay. wait a minute. So so Life Sucks was uh, your ensemble piece. Yes, they are actors that I think, except for a couple, I had not really seen. So they were fairly new, newish to me, uh, and they work together so well in this particular play, where you really have to. The characters are so completely interconnected. It's it's really key that they have a good chemistry and that works so incredibly well for me and it's you know it's an update a resetting of Uncle Vanya to to modern times it's been a good year for Uncle Vanya it's hasn't been a it? really yeah. good year that play is just I mean I'm just only pointing out the obvious but that play has such strong bones you can do almost anything you want with it yeah. it's it's incredible Aaron so, Posner well, yeah. Aaron is a very good director, and which brings us to our next category, because somebody has to get all these people to do the right thing all together on stage. And very often, although not always, that's the director. We've been looking at directors uh, in New York and elsewhere all over the country. 
I mentioned David Cromer's acting appearance uh, just now in the Waverly Gallery, but he's my pick for director of the year, and it's for a show that he directed in Chicago, or specifically in Glencoe, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago, and the home of Writers Theater, which in my opinion is the best regional company in the United States. Wow. I have thought this for some time now. Um, and they proved it yet again by reviving a show that honestly I don't much care for. Ne oh, my next, God. next to it's normal. It's so bad. What? Next to normal. And giving it. You don't care for it. And giving it what a What kind of statement are these? Yeah, well, Both of you? It's the truth by, stand is by, what it is. Stand by. <laughs> it is a show that I have problems with, and I didn't have any problems with this production at all. And the reason why is because David... I'm sitting here with my mouth hanging well, open. Well, you just you just calm down, Hoss. Um, <laughs> David reweighted the show. Tom Kitt, cover your ears. So that it's not, it's not a show about a troubled diva. But it's a show about a family in distress, beautifully staged, beautifully designed, a perfect cast of some wow. of Chicago's best actors and the best actors in Chicago are the best actors anywhere, really. But that was a director's show. And the proof of it was that it sold me on a show about which I had been extremely skeptical. Ironically, at Writers Theater. Yeah, who, who so. have quite a good history by the way, of doing small-scale musicals. Uh, they're, they're doing it at the Kennedy Center next season with Rachel Bay Jones as mm. Diane. Do you know who's directing? You're gonna I don't. I don't know who's directing. Is, is your head going to explode? Yes. That's, my head is going to explode. Is, is that yeah. the Venn diagram? Of yes. Marks, uh, oh, my God in heaven. <laughs> well, I, I promise you, you would have loved um, this production. I'm sure. Maybe. I'm crying just thinking about you attending <laughs> You're it. You're tearing up. I, I love that show means a tremendous amount to both me and my daughter. Uh, so it, it has it has a lot of uh, like deep emotional uh, stuff going on for me. So so I'm glad that I'm, I'd love to see this production. Yeah. I wish they could bring it here. And I'm going to go for for the flash. Uh, I, I was kind of waffling between Daniel Fish for Oklahoma, which I love a lot more than I guess you guys did. Uh, but I think we've already talked about that a lot. And so I'm going to pick uh, Rupert Gould for Inc. at Manhattan Theatre Club. I cannot believe I'm picking something hmm. director-oriented at Manhattan Theatre Club, wow. which has got to be one of the most retrograde yeah. companies in the U.S. <laughs> I'm going to go out there and say it in terms of direct, I mean, just in terms of everything. Right. But... Um, you liked it. I'm a Gould fan. Yeah. I can't, you know. Yes, yes, he does what he does. But I love Enron. <laughs> There's a deep silence. Yeah, there's no. I like things of his. I love. I thought American Psycho was terrifically staged. And Ink, which is about the reinvention of the sun. People, you know, like the things like like the image of the reinvention of the of the tabloid, the modern tabloid. People are like, oh, it's about Rupert Murdoch. It's not. It's not about Murdoch. Right. It's about this. Reinvent the invention the of the modern birth of the year of this year, right? and it's and about it is, class. Yes, and, that, and that's an issue that maybe only a British director can land right in the center of the bullseye on, and he does. It in is that one. so incredibly entertaining mm. uh, and smart, and just I was completely enchanted the entire time. But this show, yeah, I, I'm. That's a good choice. Yeah, I completely, I, I endorsing these. Uh, I am picking as my best director, 
Simon Stone ah. for his production of Yerma. But that was like... No, it wasn't. It was no? in June. Oh, you checked? I checked. <laughs> <laughs> June okay. 6th is when I reviewed it. I would agree it. with that. Then. You're cutting totally. it close, buddy. Uh, well, it, you know, we, we, yeah. we're taking this, the 18-19 season, yeah. correct? Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. T- went way back to the beginning of it. Yerma was staged at the Park Avenue Armory, which may be my favorite venue now in New York. I, I, I'm, I'm there really, with you. I, yeah. I'm going to something there tonight. I don't even remember the name of it, but I'm going. Oh, the, uh, the Heiner Goebbels. Yes! Thingamajig. Yeah, which, okay. How could he have his last name, Goebbels? Anyway, the... Uh, oh, is it Mueller? No, no it's uh, Goebbels. It's Goebbels, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, but uh, Yerma was Heiners. staged in a glass box. It was a completely modern adaptation of, of the play, Lorca's play. Uh, and uh, it was as if it was staged in a terrarium with the mm-hmm. most extraordinary sound design. We've spoken about this on the mm-hmm. show. Yeah. Where you could hear every lip smack it was the most it was wild in that sense that that the 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 oral was as compelling as the visual without it being anything like a sound effects event and the uh the performance at the center of it she was so amazing and i'm blanking billy piper billy piper thank you billy piper was so wonderful it just it's one of those pieces that when people say to me what did you see that you loved? You know, there are so many times my lo- I can't. My brain is so filled. Right. I can't go through the file quickly and say this is the one. Mm-hmm. That one I can tell you I remember so vividly and will always remember. So congratulations, Simon it, Stone. That's you should read. Test when it jumps out like that. It does. Ju- right. Exactly. It exactly. had these really incredible uh, scene changes where the the set would change, and I really In could seconds, not think. Right. He actually revealed and. Listeners, if you Google online, because there's an article where Simon Stone explains wow. how they were doing the scent changes, and it involved like miners' lamps because they were w- moving in the dark, some crazy like insane. It was, inc- like, it was yeah. insane. I'm a total sucker for quick change sets. Oh my god, oh, this, that would this, have made your head Terry, explode. They would it's, have to take you I, out on a stretcher yeah. in this one. They were in a glass box with no visible hinges. And suddenly there will be a blackout, Boom. like five seconds. I know, and you wouldn't even hear the the the, no. the, the wagons going. Anyway, there were tricks they were. to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, you know, I, I just have to mention this because you're making me think of it. There is a pirate home movie, taken from the house, of the big scene change to Loveland in the original production mm, of Follies. I saw that. And you look at that film, and you still don't know how he did it. I is, saw it. Is, is 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 that on YouTube? Is that where... yes? It's on YouTube. Oh, okay. It's okay. not a great film, but it's there's enough of it there that you can see it happening, and you just sit there and you say, "How? How?" Um, I'm, a, I'm actually let's move. actually I just mentioned very briefly the my pick for best revival, and that's Oklahoma again. I'm not going to expand on how wonderful I think this show is, but that is my. Is it pick doing for well? Bit. You know, I don't know, um, but I felt like circle it in was, the square. I felt like it was a. They announced it as a limited run. I think they were kind of. Being it's, cautious, It's going to win the Tony I, on Sunday. You think? Well, oh, yeah. I think so, too. Against Kids Me Kid? Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to win. Yeah. I don't know. But I don't I know if that's going to no help. Idea. I don't know. I don't know if people are scared of it. Uh, you know, I don't I, know what the word I, of mouth is. Somebody asked me yesterday, they said, is it gory? Interestingly. Yes. Wow. Because they've heard about there's a moment of bloodiness. Right. In the show, and that, and, and people are talking about the darkness and the blah blah blah. And I think the word the, is kind of making it's getting people worried. They can't bring their kids, that kind of thing. It's interesting. It may well, be a problem. A marketing problem. I would problem. say sixteen and above, because under that, under that, it could be. I mean, not that it's too violent. I think, violent it's, I think thing, you'd be a twelve-year-old to that. Yeah, you think? Oh, yeah, I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah. They might really well, these days, on it. Yeah. Right. Anyway. It's selling out now. Oh, oh as well. Good right. for that. All right. God bless well, them. Good for them. Yeah. Uh, so I just looked that up, folks. 
Terry, you, you went for a big one for your revival. I went for a whole season, actually. Uh, the Irish Repertory Theater, which is my favorite off-Broadway company in New York, devoted its entire second half of its season to the works of Sean O'Casey, a playwright who in Ireland is taken for granted as a very, very great playwright and who is not all that well known in the United States. So they went the whole hog. Uh, they have done staged productions of his three major plays, The Shadow of a Gunman, Juno and the Peacock, and The Plow and the Stars, and staged concert-style readings of all the rest of his work. Uh, it's a celebration of that company's, uh, uh, what, 25th anniversary, 50th anniversary, a big anniversary. And at every one of those productions, uh, respectively, they were directed by Kieran O'Reilly, Neil Pepe, and Charlotte Moore. They were as good as it gets, pre presented in a very small house on a very small stage, and they were pure magic. You mm. were, you talk about uh, environmental productions. I mean, you were completely swept into um, of those three. How come, and how come the uh, Tony Awards haven't, you know, if they're going to go with New York companies occasionally as regional theaters, which they've done. Yeah, oh yeah. Why, don't they, why isn't the Irish rep, well, well, Kieran yeah. O'Reilly and Charlotte Moore have been doing this for, for 30 years. For 30 years. They've, I mean, been, and, they've and, been making and, some odd choices for regional. But I mean, that's well, I, I just such a natural, give them yeah. the recognition for God's sakes. Yeah. Boy, am I sound I, like I, a cranky. I only saw one. Of the three, the plan the stars, which I also loved, right. oh, and Marion Plunkett was incredible in that. Yes, mm. married yeah. to J.O. Sanders. Yeah, no, they, oh. they just you know just for for commitment to a to a uh, to a, uh, an aesthetic and to to a, and to good writing, uh, the, you know, I I just think they're a, a, a they're not a, a, not amazing necessarily company. my favorite aesthetic, but I I respect the endeavor. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly right. So, what's your revival? Uh, well, my revival, I'm I'm going to the Kennedy Center for it, and it was oh. the Who's Tommy. Oh my God, which, that's right. You which were really I crazy I about loved it. it. I I was going in, and this sometimes affects how you think about things. I was going in dreading it. I've only seen productions that sort of bored me to tears because it's really just a it feels like a concept album on stage. Josh Rhodes directed and choreographed it with the most interesting uh, ensemble. That I've seen do it, uh, including pr Christian Borle and um, an amazing Mandy Gonzalez and uh, uh, one of the um, when the cut yeah one of the cuts one of the Casey cots. Casey cut oh my god no. one of the cots. yes Casey cut a cut a cut yes <laughs> just a really really fine uh, Wesley Taylor just a really lovely production that really opened my eyes to and reminded me how much I love some of the songs. So for those reasons, it was I and I wish they'd bring it back to New York. I think that could have this that production, which was a concert staging essentially, uh, should have could but, could go in New York. But so you know, linked to what Derry was saying about next to normal, I really think there's no bad show. There's only bad directors. I've said that a million times, but mm. I really think every Ooh, problem I don't show. Know about that. <laughs> no, no, okay, all right. Well, let's say problem shows. There's no problem show well, there, that cannot be solved. Let's just say there, there's probably an ideal director for every show, even a show that might not be that great. Chess. Or they, may, or even a director <laughs> who isn't that great who finds his metier or Chess. her metier. Right. I know. I'm and still those, waiting. And those are our Tony picks, non-picks, well, anti-picks. We well, we have mo one more biggie. We have you know new new play, new show, which we have not done. 
what makes the perfect performance venue? Comfortable seats, great views of the stage, a line for the toilet that doesn't take you out to the sidewalk? In truth, every venue is unique, from a college studio space to a Broadway house, from a presentation space to an arena. Undertaking their design or renovation can be a challenge, but at Charcoal Blue, that's all they do. Charcoal Blue are the leading theater, acoustic, and digital design consultancy that have designed, renovated, tweaked, and polished more than 200 performance and presentation spaces, both here and abroad over the past 15 years. From a six-person mobile podcasting studio to the new Performing Arts Center at the World Trade Center, their team of experienced musical and theater professionals innovate at any scale and any budget. With studios in New York, Chicago, the UK, and Australia, speak to them today about how they can help you realize your ambitions for your space. Visit them at charcoalblue.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at charcoalblue. We're back on Three on the Isle. And before we uh, go to our uh, best show of the year picks, we have a little bit of uh, sad and happy news to report. Our producer for 33 episodes of Three on the Isle, Kirby Pate, intrepid and altogether dependable, is leaving us. Despite us showering him with money and- We've tried and, everything. And adjectives. And We've tried everything. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and, exactly. And all the adjectives. The finest haberdashery. <laughs> uh, and we are very sad to lose him, but we are very happy for him as he's going on to a really cool gig in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, away from the ridiculous hustle and bustle of this nutty town. Kirby, until recently, has been a mostly invisible presence on this show. And so you, listening out there, have no idea how important, essential really, he is, has been, right up to today, to the the surprisingly complex process of holding this thing together. He probably thinks it's super easy, but we're old and we have no clue. So like, yeah. he's been fooling us into like making us think it was super complicated when when in fact you just press a button and it's done. <laughs> Except on his six-year-old laptop. <laughs> well, six-year-old hard drive, uh, behind the scenes, the hard drive just crapped out and I had to restart most everything. Um, Alex has a new one. Oh, he we, does. We, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Alex. So you have to Alex say Barish. who he is. I do. Uh, so the new producer of Three on the Isles, Alex Barish, he's, you may have heard his stuff with Slate. Uh, he's an Oxford graduate, so you're upgrading in schools there. I'm going to turn the mic over to Alex. Uh, nice as, to have you, Alex. Yes. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And as a Three on the Isle listener, I have heard the steady stream of superlatives applied to Kirby. So I will, I will try to... We'll have to think of something else for you, <laughs> my well, pretty. You're, you're heightening our accent. Uh, oh, yeah. The accent game yeah, is... I can... <laughs> Out of control now. I can offer that, and I can offer a slightly newer laptop, which will hopefully have fewer technical difficulties. So. And ladies and gentlemen, we're giving you now an Oxford University graduate. You know, this is this is classy stuff here on Three on the Isle. This is high quality. Yeah, this is high quality stuff. So, so welcome, Alex. We're yes. thrilled to have you. Welcome we're sad aboard. to see Kirby welcome go, but we're thrilled to have you. And Kirby, best of luck to you in what has to come. We're, Thank you very much. We're still going to get your mom's like spicy nuts, right, for Christmas? <laughs> okay, context. Because... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spicy nuts. Wow. Yeah. A... Sorry, My I mom went. makes yeah. candy pecans every Christmas. I'll make sure you get some. Yeah. We're glad. SpongeBob has spicy nuts. I didn't I didn't give any Jesus. of them to Mrs. T. Not, I ate them not all. Not Kirby. She's still furious. Not Kirby. Jesus. Spicy my God. Nuts. This is getting Kirby. so okay. price. All right. I, I said his mom's spicy nuts. My mom's, my mom's spicy nuts. It's even worse. It's so much worse. All right. Focus, people. 
let's focus. We what, still have a job us, to do here. You want us to work? Okay. Yes. So we're going to come around now to our final uh, category, which is best player musical. These very silly people are, uh, you know, are, uh, it's like this is for the blooper reel. All right? I'm going ahead. This is very. I'm sorry. So we're, we're renaming the podcast, but you know, <laughs> no, we're I not. think it's going to no. sell a Someone, lot better when I do my Canadian porno Google search. Someone, I want you all to stop it right now. Yeah, yeah. Elizabeth, somebody has to um, calm Elizabeth down. She's losing it. I think it's just the time of year. She's exhausted. She's exhausted, and this is it. Okay. Dude, I wrote four reviews over the weekend. I really felt my brain was like, I'll do it to you. Let's, all right. Yeah. Let's not waste these people's okay. times out there. So, my choice for best play is the Pulitzer Prize winning Fairview by mm. Jackie Sibley's Drury. Uh, a endorsed. Strong, strong endorse. Yeah. This yeah. is a superb piece of theater coming back to New York. Also starting to play in the regionals. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the most interesting conversations about race you'll see on the stage anywhere. And, and more to the point, a, a fascinatingly structured uh, satire. I didn't see its original New York run, but I saw her play Mary Seacoles, which was had a run at the uh, Off-Broadway House of uh, Lincoln Center Theater. Right. And I was tremendously impressed by it. She is really among the very best we, we have right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, what's your choice, Elizabeth? Well, uh, I, I I dug very deep for that one because I was I was going back. I I, I keep a, a spreadsheet of the shows I see, <laughs> as some of us do. Um, so I was looking at it to refresh my memory, and I was like, what what really stayed with me this year? And and one of the shows this season uh, that really I keep thinking about a lot is a show I saw at the uh, public theaters. Um, kind of off-off experimental festival under the radar back in January. And um, it's, a, it, it's a show called 5050 Old School Animation by, by Julia Mounsey and Peter Mills Weiss. And mm. I had written a preview of it for the Times, and even then, I was still, the show completely took me by surprise, even mm. though I had, you know, written about it without having seen it. I interviewed them, and I still, I really had no idea. It is one of the scariest things I've ever seen really? on stage. Oh Absolutely. It is so unsettling. There's a couple of images from that show that really I will haunt me. They're as strong as that. One in particular reminded me of, you know, the final shot in, in Psycho when Norman Bates has this really just completely terrifying smile at the very end. It was at that level of wow. scary. Whoa. It was was really, really incredible. Wow. And I cannot wait with these two do again. It's partly autobiographical, partly, which makes it even more unsettling. Uh, it, yeah, it's absolutely incredible. It's just about an hour. I just have a question for you, Elizabeth. You know, you see so many uh, things that we don't see in 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 the sort of the the, the farther reaches of New York <laughs> theater. Uh, are you? Do you find yourself uh, uh, more impressed? by some of these sort of wildly imaginative things that seem almost, that, that are here and gone in an instant than you are by the big commercial sort no, of... No, I, you know, I can like something like that. Share show. And, and share show right. and Tootsie d just as much. Uh, they just speak to different parts of my brain mm. and I enjoy them equally. I mean, I can... 
uh, I, I just feel it's silly to limit ourselves to like one style of theater or TV or, or whatever your you know art form that you prefer to focus your energy on. Mm. If is. I may say so, you have never struck me as a snobbish critic. Oh no, I really, I really, I tried not to. I really, again, I, I generally think the share show is great. <laughs> it's I one myself of those things. would rather slip my wrists than see it again. But uh... <laughs> okay, maybe not great. But I just love it. I absolutely love it. I love Ed Over Hills with absolutely not an ounce of irony or, mm. you know, the, I, I don't do hate watching. You just like it because you like it. Yeah. I like it because I like it. Got it. I, I think no hate watching is one of like the right. worst things ever invented, Which is really by the way. fun to read. Uh, Terry, what's your pick? Well, you know, it says something about both about the current theater scene and the tenor of theater in America right now that very little attention was paid this season to the fact the two of the most distinguished English language playwrights of the post-war era both had plays open in New York, Tom Stoppard and John Guare, mm. which have not uh, been up for nominations, which didn't attract quite, quite a lot of attention, and both of which impressed me tremendously. Now, of the two, I liked them both. I very much liked uh, Stoppard's Hard Problem. But the one that really spoke to me was Lincoln Center Theater's premiere of John Guare's Nantucket Sleigh Ride. John Guare really transformed the way that American playwrights go about what they do. Uh, he brought touches of surrealism, a particular kind of comic voice. Um, his language has been absorbed into our language. He's now uh, a, an, a gentleman of a certain age, and he is still writing the way he always has, uh, with that kind of craziness and brilliance and I, I was wondering when the curtain went up on Nantucket Sleigh Ride. I, I won't lie to you. I thought, has he still got it? Well, he still had it, and it was a terrific show. And of all the new plays I reviewed this year, it was the one that I think has stuck with me the most. And we could go on for quite a while on this topic and about the Tonys more generally, but the clock is running. It's probably best that we move on from the Tonys to the way that we usually end this show, which is to take a look it's some of the shows that have caught our attention since the last episode of Three on the Isle. Since we were all in this room last, I've been to Chicago. Uh, I went to Writers Theater and saw Next to Normal. I saw a beautiful, beautiful production of Hamlet at Chicago Shakespeare. And I saw something very important that I have an inkling we're going to be seeing more of. David Auburn, uh, best known for proof, has written a stage version of Saul Bellow's novel, The Adventures of Augie March, which was premiered by the Court Theater in Chicago. It's a long one. It's three and a half hours long. It is, um, it's part comedy. It's part tragedy. It goes at 100 miles an hour. It's extraordinarily funny, directed with great brilliance by Charles Newell, the artistic director of that company. And as I watched it a couple of weeks ago, I thought to myself, Chicago, this is the town that brought us another very long play that didn't look like a potential commercial hit, August Osage County, which of course came to Broadway and made Tracy Let's a Star. And as I said in my review for the Wall Street Journal, if there are any smart, adventurous producers out there paying attention, go see this show. You might have the next uh, surprise class hit on your hands. Wow, that's a... Very strong endorsement. Yeah, I, that's how I felt. Wow, Elizabeth, what about you? Well, I uh, I I saw Kit Hamill's uh, 
adaptation or retelling, as she likes to, to put it, uh, of Little Women. And, and she's... Who's she, doing that? Uh, it's pri it's at primary stages. Primary stages, yeah. Uh, and and so uh, Kate Hamill has become a kind of a specialist of these adaptations. She's done uh, Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, and Vanity Fair, which immediately I have not seen. So that was my introduction. Or, or on you've never seen any of those? No. Okay. Somehow it's one of those weird things where somehow I've managed to miss them all. And I it was a, a show that I liked very much until I disliked it very much. Uh, the first half. Uh, Can you hint without spoiling? Well, I, no. I mean, there's pretty much nothing to spoil in <laughs> Little Women, really. <laughs> oh my God, Beth dies. Uh, so you, but, you can mention the nude scene, in other words. Yeah, the nude scene. Oh my God, it's outrageous. <laughs> um, but uh, oh, Laurie, what are you gonna do? Um, but well, you know, the first half. It, it, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. Um, it's really hard to portray a family where you believe they're a family on stage, and here. I did not believe that they were siblings, sisters at all. And this has nothing to do with the fact that this is like a kind of uh, race-blind casting. It's really, it's really not that, because I have bought that many occasions before. But there's something the, the actors do not quite gel, and I think it partly has to do with the writing. But the big problem is that it becomes really Joe's show and Joe's journey, a word I don't like, but here it's very much in touch. Because what the show does is project a very contemporary reading of Joe, who's in masculine clothes the entire time, mm. uh, who friend zones Laurie completely early on, it's very clear. The, prof the German professor does not is, has been written out. So it's really now Joe as this epitome of this kind of contemporary vision of empowerment, mm. which is so bland and boring because we lose all the complexity of the character. Now she becomes just this kind of like, you know, like in the widest sense of the of the word, kind of queer positive character. And I feel it's a kind of, it's very reductionist. Mm. Uh, of, I've, I've of seen the, all of, I'm, I'm sorry, go oh, on. Oh yeah, no, I, mean, I felt like it's really reductionist of the, the character and the book. I've seen all of, of Kate's adaptations so far and I'm a fan. I'm seeing Little Women this coming weekend, and from what the way you described it, this sounds really. I mean, there's always an overlay in her in her adaptations. This sounds more conceptualized than the ones that have come before, and uh, I'm very curious to see what I make of it. I, I think part of it is that there's an element of wishful thinking about what Joe is or should be, that is projected onto what is actually in the book. Mm. Mm. So it's an. Mm. I kind of. I'm very curious to see what the reviews are going to be like. Mm. Very, very curious mm. about it. Do they mm. read Little Women as children in Corsica? No. Although I had seen like the movies, okay. and in fact, in f the French version is called. The, it translates as the Four Daughters of Doctor Marsh. Mm. March. Ah. Mm. Because I mean, it, it of course is a beloved children's novel right. in the United States, mm. but mostly among young women. Mm -hmm. mm. We have our own. Yeah. It's called Little Men. But. And Nobody knows that one. Nobody knows that one except uh, my right. parents bought me a copy. So <laughs> I have actually read Little Men. What about you, anyway, Peter? What, what well, I've been to you? London uh, in our since our last uh, you podcast. You were gone forever. Thank you. I yeah. <laughs> uh, and my choice, the thing I saw that most impressed me, I'm on a Ibsen kick at the moment. Mm. I feel like he's not done enough in this country, and the I just wrote wrote a piece about why I thought that was a good thing. Oh God! Oh, God. 
Okay. Oh man. Save that for later. Jeez. Oh, so, okay. uh, and I feel I feel like uh, British uh, theaters and directors really understand uh, his work. I saw a production of Rosmer's Home on the in the West End, directed by Ian Rickson, with mm. a, an adaptation by Duncan McMillan, who's been represented here by several plays, and I thought it was really wonderful. How adapted is it? It's pretty adapted. It it feels it, it feels fairly uh, uh, reimagined mm -hmm. uh, for uh, for a modern audience. Some of the more arcane elements of the play are gone. But essentially, it retains this sort of dark core that, it, you know, it's almost a bizarre sort of story that Ibsen uh, created. And the, uh, the, the central couple and their, in their quest, this eternal Ibsen, Ibsen's quest for personal freedom, for, for, for living the life you want to live and defining it on your own terms, is beautifully played out in this production by a wonderful cast of actors. Uh, I don't know how I don't know if an American audiences really dig Ibsen. I, I feel like there's a, a they, that he's perceived unfairly as this kind of realist, essentially, and and, and very often his plays are much more uh, uh, complex and weird and bizarre. This one well, in the particular, especially. this yeah. one ends in suicide in a double suicide. In you know, for a play in 1886 when it was written, uh, it, it feels radical, and I would love to see more pieces like this done in the United States. Do you think yeah. there's any chance that we'll get this one? They they've been trying to summon uh, New York writers to come see it. This it was just serendipitous that I went. It was just sort of started. It was just mm. uh, started what? performances uh, fairly it's shortly before I got there. It's always a tough sell here. Yeah, yeah, it's, and it's not stars. Uh, it's uh, Haley Atwell is the best known actress in the piece, but she's not widely known in this country particularly. But uh, I don't think it's likely, except that sometimes the you know, discovery itself can be the selling point. And maybe there's a, there might be a resurgence, despite Terry Teachout's obvious <laughs> campaign against him, uh, to, uh, to find more, more common ground with Ibsen well, in this I country. Well, I have wondered whether the success of A Doll's House Part Two might get people more Ibsen conscious. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, which I'm about to see again in Washington next week with Holly Twyford. Oh, I love her. Uh, playing the, the Laurie Metcalf part. Oh, if you'll recall one of our first guests. Yes. Very first guest. I'm going to see her and I'll report back to you all how, how she does in the part. Which but are, yes, it's a good question. Whether or not that kind of play can sort of uh, revivify uh, the, uh, the interest in a playwright. Speaking of guests, we really mustn't give it away. But we're going to tease you. But you, you. will. No, I'm not. We're <laughs> going to tease you and tell you that we are expecting to have a very nifty guest on the next edition of Three on the Isle. So watch us in the social media for oh, the big reveal. It's, it's so good. It's I'm so excited. Good. Yeah, I I'm, excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. It's Henrik Ibsen, everyone. <laughs> no, that would be hard. We're doing a seance. <laughs> exactly. We're doing a seance. Well, uh, okay, so I guess that's the end. Yeah, it looks like we're uh, about out of time. Uh, and we're about out of Kirby paid. So uh, <laughs> we're going to wrap things up now. I'm Peter Marks. I'm Terry Teachout. And I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli. You've been listening to Three on the Isle, a podcast from New York about theater in America, hosted by American Theater Magazine. 
Our henceforth former producer is Kirby Pate. You can follow us on Twitter at 3 on the Isle and write to us at 3 on the Isle at gmail.com. Spell out three in both cases. And please drop us some mail. We are eager to fill up the listener's mailbox and answer your letters in the next episode. Make sure you leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or Google Play. And you can even rate Elizabeth Vincentelli's laughter if you want. That's right. Five star. Uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on the aisle or at the theater's bar. Well, I'll be having my Shirley Temple from a sippy cup. <laughs> Go Bikini Kill. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>